Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Um, good morning, everybody. If, if we've not met before, my name is Scott, and I'm the pastor at Christ Church. And our young church, we're about three years old. Uh, this congregation is going through a membership process this fall for the first time. Yay! But for many of us, uh, when I say the word membership, it, it's not something you want to cheer about. It's, it's like, it seems to us the most boring and like legal part of church life. And it has the ability to be connected to a bunch of random stuff because everywhere we go, somebody asks us to be a member of something. Uh, so you check out of Office Depot, Home Depot, wherever it is, and somebody says, are you a member with us? And if you're like me, you usually say no, and then they ask you if you want to be a member. Uh, I was even asked if I was a member at Panera Bread the other day. Apparently now there's a subscription to coffee. Am I the only person who think that's weird? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was like, Panera Bread? Um, and for me, I've worked in retail and restaurants, so I've had to do this too. Uh, nothing against employees who have to ask, but it just feels like another bait and switch for this company to get more money out of me when I'm at a store. And then you go online, and everyone online is asking you to be a member, from Amazon to Apple to whoever. This is, the world is a battle of subscriptions, right? So stores and streaming services and coffee shops are all asking us to become members, and then we come to church and hey, what do you know, Scott wants me to be a member. Except it's way more terrifying because it's church and it's about like committing to a group of people and it freaks us out. Is it just me? You guys feel that? Membership is weird in 2021. So what is the point of membership? I spent a good part of my summer study time digging into the question of, is there actually anything behind the curtain of membership, biblically, theologically? Or is it truly just some random legal part of church life that like is a holdover from country club culture? Um, this summer I read about it and I dug and I dug and I got really excited really quick, but turns out there's a lot behind membership in the church. And rather than being the legal boring part of church life, it has more to do with a mystical sacramental reality about participating in the life of God. That was a lot of words, which I hope I'll explain as time goes on, uh, but it's a big deal. The word member itself plays a really important role in the New Testament. For Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters of the New Testament, it was a really big deal, and it's actually a really big deal in our liturgy. I pointed this out last week, but if this is your first time, I'll point it out in a second, our service concludes with thanking God for making us members. So for the next three weeks, actually five weeks, sorry, we're going to be digging into the Bible's teaching of what it means for the church to be a body and for Christians to be members. And if you're terrified of membership and if you're terrified of the church in general, which many of us are and for good reason, hang in there with me. My prayer is that slowly the Bible will peel us away from a country club Netflix understanding of membership and lead us towards the beautiful thing that is biblical, sacramental, mystical, gospel membership. It'll take some time for us to get there, 
because we're so bogged down and our view of church is so messed up, but I think my prayer is that God can work something profound in us over five weeks of really thinking about this. Does that sound good? Preach. Let me pray for us. Jesus, let the meditations of our heart, the words of our mouth be acceptable in your sight. Pray that my words would be acceptable in your sight. Jesus, without you, we are a husk. If you depart from us, Lord, we are just people singing songs and wearing funny shirts and sitting in a high school gym. But Lord, if you inhabit this space, we become the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Lord, all of us have barriers between us and the church. All of us have barriers between us and you. But you so lovingly break down barriers. And would you tear down some this morning? And we all of us say together, amen. All right, before we talk about what it means to be a member of the church, we first need to get clear on what the Bible means when it calls the church the body of Christ. The Bible talks about the church in a lot of ways. There's more mixed metaphors for church in the Bible than about like anything in the world, okay? But body of Christ is a really big one if you're new to the Bible or if you're new to the church. It's one of the main ones that the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. And really, our theme verse for the next five weeks is from 1 Corinthians 12, which says, now you, which if it was written in the South, it would say y'all, that's the plural you, now y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's what this all comes down to. So what is the significance of the church as the body of Christ? In order to properly understand that, we need to begin by thinking about the significance of Jesus's human body. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey. And I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on with me, but I'm hoping you didn't come to church to be entertained and hear me just go, so you guys, we're going to do a little thinking. If you have a Bible, you're a rock star, open it up. If you don't have one and you don't own one, I'll buy you one. If you have one and it's at home next week, bring it. How's that sound? Uh, But grab your bulletin either way. Okay, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Colossians 1. Sadly, this is not in your bulletin. I wish it could have been, but if you don't have a Bible, it's totally okay. I'm going to read it. Colossians chapter 1, this is in the New Testament, and I want you to look at verse 15. This is from a really famous part uh, of a passage in the New Testament about Jesus. And it says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This teaches us that God is immortal and invisible. There's a couple places where the Bible says that in the New Testament. God's invisible. Nobody can see him. And yet, in the historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, he became visible, touchable. And the New Testament makes a big deal about Jesus touching people, relatable. In Jesus, God gets a body. He puts on flesh, as the Bible says. And what's more, if you're in Colossians, look at chapter 2, verse 9. And if you don't have it, it's okay, I'll read it. But listen to this. For in him, Jesus, 
the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Let me read that again. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And that means not only did the invisible God become visible in Jesus, but the fullness of God became visible in Jesus, all of him. And this is why you will hear Jesus, or sorry, you'll hear theologians call Jesus the sacrament of God. Sacrament is a really big churchy word that we don't often use in our world, and it's hard to understand. I heard that word used a lot in church before I actually understood what it means, and a lot of people use it like princess bread. I'm not sure this word means what you think it means, you know? So you hear the word sacrament. What in the world does sacrament mean? A sacrament is a visible thing, a physical, visible thing that reveals an invisible reality. So it's a physical thing that reveals something spiritual or invisible. And that is why we refer to Jesus' human body as the sacrament of God. Jesus is the full, visible, tangible expression of the invisible God. Are you guys tracking with me? We got it. Jesus is the sacrament of God. This is one of the greatest scandals and the greatest beauties of the Christian faith. And it still is to this day. First, it's a scandal. At the incarnation at Christmas, we're like, what? You're trying to tell me that all of God is in this poor Jewish baby who was born in a barn because his family was poor? Throughout all Jesus' life, people could not wrap their minds around what Jesus was trying to say. They'd say things like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't this Joseph's kid? His dad's a carpenter. Don't, don't try to, I mean, most people didn't even get what Jesus was saying when he would be articulating things like this, but the ones who did get it would pick up stones because they were so shocked at what he was saying. Yet so it was. One time a guy named Philip, who was really impressed with Jesus, said, Jesus, show me God. You seem like you're a really spiritual guy. Can you, can you show me the Father? And what does Jesus say? Super famous. He says, Philip, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. You're looking at him. Another time, one of the disciples said, Jesus, you are such an amazing spiritual leader. Can you take us to God? Can you show us, you know, how to get there? Which path up the mountain leads to God, right? And he says, me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the implications of this and this has always been a huge part of Christianity, is that you cannot have a Jesus-less faith. You can't do it. There's no way to look over Jesus' shoulder to see God. If you're looking at him, you try to do this, you can't do it. You can't say to Jesus, I really like you, but if it's okay with you, I would prefer to have my own relationship with God kind of my own way. I think Jesus, with all the love of God, would say, oh, but if you've seen me, you have seen God. But the scandal of the incarnation is the most beautiful part of the incarnation. Because of the incarnation, our faith has a body. Amen? It has a tangible center. It's not abstract. Our faith is not blind. It's not a feeling. Thank God. My emotions are insane. 
Can you imagine if my faith was hitched to the wagon of my emotions? I would be at the bottom of a cliff right now. Our faith is not a philosophy. In Jesus, our faith is embodied. The fullness of God dwells bodily. So let me just pause and say, if you are here, or if you're watching, and you're not a Christian, and you're asking spiritual questions, and you're searching, listen to what Jesus is saying. Listen to what the Bible is saying. You can see it in Jesus. Just move towards him. Look at him. Learn more about him. It's all there. You can't look over his shoulder. You don't want to look over his shoulder anywhere else. It's right there. For those of you who are Christians and you've been following Jesus for a long time, can I remind you how simple this is? Have things gotten weird and abstract? Have you hitched your faith to your feelings? Have things gotten esoteric and complicated? Do you know that we make the same exact mistake that Phillips makes, Philip made all the time? I know for a fact that in my daily life, Jesus is right in front of me, and I'm asking him, can you do something else for me? Can you show me God? Please, Jesus, show me God. Show me him elsewhere. Do this, do that. And I'm looking over his shoulder. I'm all over the place. And what I need is for the Lord Jesus to hold my head in his hands and look at me in the eyes and say, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? Guys, Christianity is simple. It's not simple in a billion ways, but in this way, it is. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. But amazing as that is, we can't stop there because there's a slight problem. And that is, Jesus ascended into heaven, and we believe he's seated at the right hand of the Father in his resurrected, glorified body, which we actually believe, by the way. So how do we move towards Jesus and see him and commune with him if he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Now, turn with me to Ephesians. This is in your bulletin. So if you have your bulletin, flip me to Ephesians 1, and I do want you to flip there because I'm going to do what Father Eric did, and I'm going to have you talk back to me because we all need some bodily engagement in body life. You guys there? Ephesians 1? Look at verse 22. This is at the very end. And he put all things, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his what? And the fullness, sorry, I butchered that, which is his what? Let's try it again. Body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This week was the first time I have ever connected Colossians and Ephesians. And I was so shocked at what I thought it was saying that I had to do tons of reading to make sure I wasn't being heretical and I wasn't crazy. Notice the same concepts and words are in Colossians that are in Ephesians. The fullness of God gets bodied. It takes on something. And yet, this time, it's about Jesus being in his body, the fullness of Jesus being in the church. So here's the thing. In the same way that Jesus reveals the Father, the church reveals Jesus. 
Just as Christ is the sacrament of God, the, invisible, the visible image of an invisible something, theologians say that in that same way, the church is the sacrament of Jesus. The visible expression of something that we can't see. The place where the ascended Christ comes to life. So God first became embodied in Jesus, and then Jesus chooses the church and becomes embodied in the church. And when we say the body, the church, the church isn't a building, the church isn't an event, the church isn't a podcast, it's people. It's a group of people. Throughout the whole world, throughout all time, the universal body of Christ. And just as the incarnation is a great scandal, uh, so is this. Christmas and Pentecost are both equally shocking. At Christmas, we're like, what? The fullness of God is dwelling in this baby. And at Pentecost, we're like, what? Peter? Peter just hacked a guy's ears off. You know, he, he literally just denied Christ three times. Paul is literally persecuting Christians and trying to kill Christians. How can these people be the body of Christ? Yet it's true. Jesus handed over the keys to Peter. I joked with myself thinking it's like a dad in the driveway with a 16-year-old son, like, all right, man, you drive. But he did. He handed over his authority to the church, his word, his power, his spirit, all to the church. So here's the implication of this that is really tough for individualistic Americans to swallow. You ready? Just as there is no such thing as a Jesusless faith, there is no such thing, brothers and sisters, as a churchless faith. You cannot look over Jesus' shoulder to see the Father, and according to Jesus, you cannot look over the church's shoulder to see Jesus. Cyprian of Carthage, who was a African bishop from the third century, um, put it this way, in a time when the church was being ripped apart and people were leaving. He said this in a famous tract called On the Unity of the Church, or On the Unity of the Faith. It's one of those. He says this, quote, he who forsakes the church of Christ cannot attain to the rewards of Christ. He can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. If anyone could escape who is outside the ark of Noah, then he also may escape who is outside of the church. I love that. He's like, okay, if you figured out how to survive the flood without a boat, then you can do your own faith outside of the church because the church is the ark. No God without Jesus, no Jesus apart from the church. And if you are from a Catholic or Orthodox background, you're like, duh. Like, is this news? But if, like me, you didn't grow up in one of those traditions we immediately want to push back and we quote the Bible, which is absolutely true. There's one God, one mediator between God and man. And who is that? The man, Jesus Christ, right? Anything that smacks of religious mediation, we righteously push back against. And that is absolutely true. We believe that wholeheartedly. But we also need to remember that has to sing in unity with other parts of scripture because Jesus, the one mediator, has chosen and called the church, his body, to be the means of his mediation. Jesus is the reason for all the healing and the saving and forgiveness that's happening in the church, but he handed that over to be done in his name. 
right? And it is in this sense that our faith is always mediated through the church. Let me say that again. And these are fighting words, so I'm going to back them up. It is in this sense that our faith is always mediated through the church. Let's think about the book of Acts, which our small groups are studying. So you guys have been thinking about these passages. Is there ever a story in the book of Acts where a person has a conversion experience alone? In one sense, yes. Cornelius has a vision by himself, remember? Paul has a profound personal experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. The Ethiopian eunuch, remember, is having his mind blown by Isaiah 53, by himself. And so people are meeting the Lord Jesus all over the place. And yet, in every case, Jesus requires that person to complete their conversion through the church. Cornelius gets Peter. God sends Peter specifically to Cornelius, who explains what's happening and then baptizes his whole household. Paul, who's on the road to Damascus, has to submit to his brother Ananias. And God forces Ananias, because he doesn't want to do it, because Paul's so crazy, but he's like, okay, if you're asking me to. He goes over to Paul, who's blind, and he lays hands on Paul. And it's through Ananias, in the name of Jesus, that Paul is healed, the scales fall from his eyes, and then Ananias baptizes him. And the Ethiopian eunuch does not just end up by himself reading Isaiah 53 and thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to subscribe to this podcast. God sends Philip to explain what is happening. And then what does Philip do? He dunks him. Like in Nacho Libre, right? (laughs) Think about this. Does anyone ever baptize themselves? Negative. Ever. Did Jesus baptize himself? No. He got baptized by John, and John freaked out when Jesus asked him to do it. And what does Jesus say? No, no, no. It's necessary in order for me to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You cannot baptize yourself. I have met people who have wanted to baptize themselves and stay outside of the church. True story. And with all the love of Jesus, we just want to say that's not how it was intended to be done. Got to have somebody else. You got to have real water. This is the heartbeat of Acts. Jesus saving people, healing people, resurrecting people through his body, the church. At the beginning, Jesus is there, resurrected and glorified. And all the people, we studied Acts 1 in our small groups, but if you aren't a part of a small group in Acts 1, Jesus is there and everybody's expecting him to do the rest of it. Okay, now do the thing. Are you going to usher in the kingdom? They're so excited for Jesus and his resurrected body to just get it all done. And then he does this shocking thing of just basically saying, no, I want you to do it. You are going to be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what if, I, had, I laughed to myself thinking about this this week, what if Peter, P- Peter, when Peter was preaching in Jerusalem at the very beginning of Acts, right, one of those first sermons, some guy in the back of the crowd raises his hand. Peter's like, oh, wow. Haven't had a heckler yet. Yeah, sure. What, what is it? And he says, hey, my name's Gaius. I just moved here from Ephesus. How's it going? Um, I'm actually really compelled by what you're saying. I really uh, am attracted to Jesus of Nazareth and the things you're saying, and I really want to follow him. But I actually don't really like you. 
Um, and I really don't like the idea that I kind of have to join you because I don't really like these fishermen and some of these women have questionable histories. And I just don't want to really associate it with you guys. And I also really don't like how you're in this kind of like, you're an apostle, like you have some authority that was given to you. So no offense, Peter. Um, I hope you know I don't mean any offense. I just, is there any way for me to have a relationship with Jesus aside from you guys? How would Jesus, how would Peter have responded? We don't know how Peter would have responded. For me, uh, pretty much all church leaders have some sense of an imposter syndrome. That would inflame my deepest insecurities. Oh my gosh, yeah, no, no, no worries. Uh, totally, you're right, guys. Yeah, let me, let me pray. I'll see if Jesus can, can figure something out for you so you don't have to be with the rest of all of us and you can just have a direct line. But how would Jesus have responded? <laughs> it's interesting to think about. I think we can be fairly confident. Jesus would say, no, these are my people. This is my body. Peter has my keys in his pocket, and I made that decision. There's a time in the Old Testament when everybody gets mad at Moses because he's, you know, the leader, and they're like, what makes you so special? And Moses, the meekest man on all the earth, says, all right, hey, I, I, don't, I didn't ask for this in some ways, you know. But God comes down and says, no, Moses is my guy. From what we can read in Acts, that's pretty much what we think Jesus would have done. Do you know that when Saul is persecuting the church, when Jesus meets him for the first time, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He makes a direct connection. Whoa. This is why we are a community coming home to Jesus and his church. At Pentecost, Jesus united himself with. He embodied himself in the church. He made that bond, that connection. And what God has put together, let no man separate. When Jesus calls the church his body, we take it seriously. And so have Christians for a long time. It's only in, I would say, recent years, not recent years, but one of the sad things is that the church has become disenchanted from this over time, and it's just become a, I'm a part of this golf course, that church, and I like Netflix. <laughs> the church is intended by God to be the full expression of Christ on earth, and you can meet him in his body. But we need to make one more connection, because the church, as the body of Christ, is the universal throughout time and all space, fellowship of the body, all the saints. And there is still a way that you can fall in love with the idea of the church. And being somebody who spent time in theological academic circles, I've watched a lot of people fall in love with the idea of church, but not fall in love with church. It can still remain abstract. And I've also laughed to myself this week thinking about the great cloud of witnesses like iCloud. Does anyone understand cloud computing? No. We have a bunch of Epic employees in our, in our uh, congregation, and they probably can explain to you I, I, cloud computing, but I worked for Apple for like five years, and I was always asked at every family reunion, Scott, do the cloud speech. Explain to me iCloud. Why is my iCloud busted? And I could never explain it. I still have no idea what it means. We are all pawns of like the three people on earth who understand cloud computing, yeah. right? If we're not careful, that's what church feels like. 
where does your stuff go in the cloud? I have no idea, but I know it's a thing. And it means nothing. But there is a place where the body of Christ, the church, ceases to be an idea, and it becomes a physical, touchable, relatable, livable reality. And where is that? You're in it. Not Edgewood High, but us. Just as Jesus was the physical manifestation of God on earth, and the universal church is the full expression of Christ on earth. Listen, so the local church is the physical manifestation, the access point to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There are three things in scripture that are identified as the body of Christ. First is Jesus' body, the sacraments of God. Second is the church, big church, one holy Catholic apostolic church, the sacrament of Jesus. And the third is what Jesus breaks during the Lord's Supper and what we receive in this, the Eucharist. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And where do you go to receive the Eucharist? The local church. You can't get it through a podcast. Sorry, COVID. Jeff Bezos cannot ship it to you. He can do a lot of things. He cannot ship you the Eucharist. And if he says he can, ah, big, big heresy alarm, okay? It only comes, only through a local table from a person who has real hands. And it is real bread that they put in your hand. And Eastern Orthodox theologians, I find out this week, will tell you that where the word and sacrament is in the Holy Spirit, when the church gets together, like we are doing, the full mystery is present. There's nothing more that you can be added to the word and sacrament infused with the Holy Spirit in the local church. And as Anglicans, we would add that that is regardless of denomination or the size of your building or what nationality or ethnicity you are or what kind of music you have where the church is gathered in word and sacrament in the name of Jesus, united in the Holy Spirit, the mystery is there. Now, what's the implication from all this? All this means our faith gets a body in the local church. You're looking at it. You cannot look over the local church's shoulder to see the church. That's like trying to find iCloud with no hardware. I don't know if anybody's ever made this connection, but I think it's actually a pretty good analogy. The way that I access my cloud, sorry for all the, the technological conversations, but hear me out. The way I access my iCloud is through the hardware of my iPhone. There's no way for me to get to the cloud, wherever it is, without hardware. That's specific. That's to me. It's like that. 
you can't access the holy, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. In some ways, Jesus has bound himself to the church, and the access point for all that is this. Not just worship, but body life, living in the body of Christ with local people where word and sacrament and the Holy Spirit is present. And this is extremely important for us because we live in a day and age where the products of the body are made beautifully and at an alarming rate and are offered to you personally without needing the local church in between. You can do church by yourself if you want, a la carte. There's a story in the book of Judges about a guy named Micah who has this amazing idea to just not worry about the temple and all this stuff. He just starts his own little cult temple worship in his house. Uh, So first he takes some of his mom's silver and he makes a little idol out of it. And then there's this Levite who's like a um, pastor walking by his house. And he's like, hey, you want to just come be like my personal pastor? And he's like, sure. The, The money is right. He's like, you got it. So he hires him. And then he gives him, he dresses up, even gives him like all the Old Testament garb to be a priest. And he's like, hey, this is great. I've got my own little church here. And of course, it's a huge indictment on how bad things had got to be at that point. But we, we do the same thing in America, I think, or we're tempted to do the same thing. I get Tim Keller here. And trust me, I love Tim Keller as much as anybody. Watch a Bible Project video here. Listen to worship music that is so much better than anything we could ever produce or anybody in Madison could ever produce. Hire a spiritual director when I need to talk to somebody and we can create our own spiritual life without ever interacting with the body. And then you never have to go to small group and you don't have to ever talk to somebody who hurts your political feelings. It's sterile. It's perfect. But that's not communion. Right? It's not communion. If you love Jesus, you love the church. If you love the church, that's going to express itself in a local congregation. Our faith gets a body in the local church. What a beautiful thing. You were never meant to be alone. You were never meant to figure out how to be a Christian alone. You can't do it. That's miserable. That would be so hard. You were made for body life. You're a part. Now let's bring it all back home and land the plane. When we talk about membership, we immediately think of Office Depot or our local gym. But that is not what we are talking about when we talk about membership. Amen? The invitation to become a member in the church is an invitation to participate in the life of God. That's what we're inviting you to. It's an invitation to communion with the resurrected Christ himself. And this is not all about Christ Church Madison. If you are visiting, I pray you take this teaching with you wherever you are going. If you're going to move in a week, praise God. If Christ Church isn't right for you, my prayer is that you won't drift. You'll, you'll, you'll go find another communion happening, another table that you can fellowship around in body life. And the theology of membership, what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks, is about how you, as an individual, go from being lost and dismembered and alone to having your existence fused with the existence of Christ and his church and his body. 
and you become a part of it. Your faith doesn't just get a body, you become a living, moving essence with it. I mentioned this last week, but look at the end of your bulletin really quick. Page 17. Lots of this is newer to me, but turns out this is not new to the historic church. And that's what I said. One of the things we want to do is we're recovering the church's beautiful, historic understanding of itself. Um, We end our services with a prayer of thanksgiving, and liturgical communities have done this for millennia. And we usually have a normal one uh, that's a little bit shorter than this, and it has a little bit more common language, which came out in the late 20th century. But this one is a little bit earlier, and though it's not the full epic one from like 500 years ago, and one of the first books of common prayers, it's more like it. And I want you to see what people thanked God for after church. Think of what we would normally thank God for after church. Wow, that was great. That was an awesome sermon. That was really good worship. I loved it. Listen to this. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for feeding us in these holy mysteries. And that word mystery is synonymous with the word sacrament. With the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for assuring us, this is what they loved after church. Oh, I've been reminded that this is true. What? That through this sacrament of your favor and goodness towards us, which means that we are true members of the mystical body of your son, the blessed company of all faithful people and also heirs through hope of your everlasting kingdom. And then they ask, oh, help us that we may continue in that fellowship. Uh, the first one from 16, in the 1600s says that we are very members and corporate which sounds way cooler and also I don't really understand what that means. Something like this. That is what church is going to assure you of. That's what you're supposed to be reminded of in church. I'm a part of Jesus, that I may be one with you just as I am one with the Father, and that's happening. And I'm a part of these people. I'm not alone in the world. Praise God. So we're going to pray this prayer for the next five weeks as we're in this series. Now, there are a lot of questions that this raises. Um, What does it mean to become a member of the church and like the individual one and baptism is becoming a member in the big one and we'll sort that out. The biggest question is, but the church is so messed up and I'm really afraid of the church and I've been hurt by the church and we take that super seriously and Jesus takes that super seriously. But if I can pun on it, we're really gonna go into that in three weeks on the the sermon that's what is the goal of membership, we're going to think about the ways that the church is broken and how do we reconcile that with longing to be a part of it and being captured up in the beauty of this. We'll answer more, but for now, I just want to leave it here. The American church, we prayed about this at the beginning, has been co-opted, and I don't want to be, I want to be careful in the way I talk about the church in general, but I think our American church has been co-opted by politics, by Hollywood, little bit of McDonald's in there. I mean, it just kind of seems like all the other big stuff in America that's being produced and multiplied and expanded. It's become disenchanted from this. And our task is to re-enchant the church. Amen? And I would love for us to be a place that does that for a lot of people. Church is the body of Christ. 
Now you are all the body of Christ and individually members of it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.